Hello and welcome to the Sunday Show. I'm Rodney Cyrus. I hope you're well and welcome back if you've returned. We're going to go back in time, back to the beginning of last week where things were still unsure and unsettled. The 2019-20 season was coming to an end and it's now finally over. It ended with all the drama of a big night at the circus. Um, so many people cheering and shouting. No, it was nothing like that. Uh, the stadium was not filled. The stadium was very much empty. And because it was empty, all of the supporters, all of the fans, they had their eardrums pinned to the radios, pinned to their car stereos, pinned to their TV sets. Supporters up and down the country and around the world were glued to one of the best leagues in the world, the Premier League, asking so many questions. Who would be relegated? Who would escape? Which manager would have the unfortunate task of saying to his team and supporters and chairman, they just weren't good enough? Weren't good enough. Who would be successful and not choke on the final day and secure European football? Well, there were so many. And we'll start with the biggest game of the day as it was billed. No, not Manchester United versus Liverpool. No, not Liverpool versus Manchester City. It was Leicester City versus Manchester United. Teams vying to be in the top four. They provided all the drama of a big circus day out and night out. No, they didn't. It was poor. The game was dominated by poor passing, dominated by poor execution throughout. And even though, especially from a Manchester United point of view, even though, despite uh, Leicester having the bulk of the play and the chances, they fell short and were beaten by the odds of being another team to give away a penalty to Manchester United. How many times can one team be so lucky and successful from gaining goals from a spot kick? I have no idea. But beyond this, Leicester did in truth fall short and fell on their swords when their goalkeeper, Kasper Schmeichel, did the unthinkable and tricked himself into believing he was an outfield player. This resulted in an error and he was dispossessed by Jesse Lingard, who was extremely grateful considering his basically clear fall from grace as he's not necessarily first choice in this current Manchester United team. United win on the day and take all three points, uh, securing third place. The Champion League beckons for them and they are happier for it. And with that, an endless list of players uh, will no doubt be linked to them between now and the start of next season. In, in terms of the other team, Leicester City, they have to consider their plight throughout the game and the season to be an unlucky one having spent the bulk of their season in top four, they will have to kick themselves in the shins for at least the next six or seven weeks. Um, when they think about where they were, they had the chance to secure. They were so far ahead of everyone else and they basically blew it. They blew it. Manchester will see their season as, as progress in terms of where they were and progress in terms of where they're going. There's a desire in their play to be taken seriously. Again, they want to be at the top, considering the distance between themselves and Liverpool and Manchester City. Even with their position in terms of stats, um, they find themselves adrift, so far adrift from this current Liverpool story of, of winners. And it's, it's, a, it's a sad tale for a Manchester United fan, but it's a sad tale for the league because you want to see much more of a challenge right across the board in terms of the five or six or seven teams that are there. 
in terms of the story for Manchester United, there's going to be um, so many things in terms of players linked to Jaden Sancho being one of them, Jack Grealish being another. Uh, that these players and rumours will no doubt plug the holes that is much needed to be plugged in terms of their um, team and how they move forward before they embark on a new campaign. Meanwhile, uh, in terms of the other positions for top four, Chelsea did their best to secure their place by defeating Wolves, uh, two goals to nothing. Their victory pushed uh, back, pushed them back, should I say, into fourth place and a Champions League place. Uh, considering uh, that a new young manager, it's a good season for Chelsea. In contrast to the Wolves manager, uh, Nuno Espirito Santos will be upset, but I believe he will be philosophical in terms of the result as to how their season has ended. Uh, they still have the Europa League games to play, and they have actually they actually began their Europa League campaign, uh, which they're currently still in way back in July 2019. So they've played a considerable number of games, more than the bulk of the teams in the Premier League. So they can't be too sad. With all of the top four spots taken, we now await who will be the fortunate ones and who will be fortunate enough to make it into next season's Europa League, uh, depending on where they go. Depending on what happens between Chelsea and Arsenal, mm, I wonder. Uh, Leicester City go directly into the group stages as they finish just outside of uh, top four after their result against Manchester United. And therefore, Manchester United are secure. Manchester City are secure in the Champions League. And also, because they've won the Carabao Cup, it means that their place in the Europa League moves down the league into sixth place. Sixth place. Who's lingering in sixth place? But no one other than Jose Mourinho and Spurs. They linger there, hoping, willing things on in terms of the FA Cup. And they're hoping that they will actually be given given a, a secure place, depending on who wins the FA Cup, especially if a certain blue team. Jose will be relying uh, on... Um, in fact, he's not relying. He'll be relying on Chelsea to win. Jose will be relying on Chelsea to win to help them. Uh, but considering where Spurs are and Jose, he's relied on the help of Manchester City and Pep, uh, Pep Guardiola to get into the Europa League. It would seem a private joke, but a joke in itself uh, that the, I'm sure he can laugh at considering the rivalry that he has with um, Pep and uh, any other manager who he's come up against and his former team like Frank Lampard and Chelsea. I'm sure he will be squirming a little bit with regards to what's happened or will be happening in the FA Cup final. I do know, but I just don't want to say yet. Um, could Chelsea lose just to watch their former boss squirm? Who knows? Maybe they did or they didn't do that. It's a twilight zone probability as to who will win and who won't win and what will happen with Spurs and Jose and everything else going forward. It's interesting and these are the kind of things that we've always wanted to see in terms of the league. Much of the games that have been played out since the return have kind of fizzled away but it's what happens on the final day. It's always about who gets relegated, who gets promoted, who escapes relegation and who pushes themselves on into a competition that they so gladly and dearly want to win. It's going to be one of those funny things. We move away. We move away from the start of the week until the next day. It's Tuesday. It's big news day, Tuesday. Huge news day. Huge. Um, scornful is a word 
and I've thought about it very, very much, scornful, its definition, it means feeling or expressing contempt or derision. And um, on Tuesday, I felt like this, and many others felt like this. Um, the breaking news, which was on the BBC website in terms of diversity and inclusion in sport, football no less. The Football Association chairman, Greg Clark, said, this is the statement, that he was disappointed in his letter after claiming the professional game, excuse me, representatives on the FA board blocked a move to try and improve diversity of its members. This would be one of the first in many of the big chess moves of the day, right? Despite glaring evidence and reports outlining the lack of diversity in sporting bodies in recent weeks, it was surprising and disappointing to read this article, to say the least. When will the time come for change? Why is it taking so long? I'd have to say why it's taking so long. When will change actually, and, and to be honest, when I say why is it, when is the time for change, is there an actual time for change? Doesn't change just happen? Doesn't change just take place? Does diversity really provoke that much fear? Does changing the board makeup make it so much more difficult? Does including voices from a broader church, from different backgrounds and different genders and different ethnicities, does it make, does it, make it that much difficult? You know? This is the same broad church of people who are dealing with coronavirus. There are not so many voices dealing with that. Why is it so difficult when it comes to diversity? I said it was Big News Tuesday and I was upset and others were upset. Making change won't kill anyone. It won't kill you, it won't kill me and it definitely won't kill an organization. It won't. What would it look like if scientists were in charge of improving diversity and eradicating racism? Not politicians, not board directors, not CEOs. What if it was actually scientists who spend their life trying to cure things and eradicate things that harm human beings? What, just imagine what it would be like. Would the scientists then become figures of hate? Would they be locked away in a dungeon, you know, and no one would listen to them because they're experts? Anyway, sorry, I kind of a little bit, little bit heated. I digress, I digress. I'll get back to the FA, okay? Apologies. Um, the FA and the letter from Mr. Clark show an unwillingness and a slow approach to change, which is, is, is much needed and has been called for for many, many, many times, many times, many months. It's been, it's been called for. Okay, okay. Right, in the letter from Greg Clark, he stated that there are a number of options, or there are a number of options discussed. And one of the options was to include Paul Elliott, who is chair of the Inclusion Adv Advisory Board as a director. Right, so we're led to believe, right, that this was not warmly received, right? It's not warmly received. Um, for me, Clark's letter set the tone in a big game of chess, right? This, that was move, chess move one. But in chess move step two, the EFL and the Premier League then issued a joint statement regarding Clark's letter. And Clark then issued his letter or a statement regarding his letter to say something which then allowed the EFL 
and the Premier League to issue their statement. Yeah, I, I said it was it was big news Tuesday. There were chess moves happening. Chess moves happening. Uh, the EFL and Premier League joint statement stated that Clark's letter did not reflect the true, true nature of the discussions held at the FA board meeting uh, in the previous week and that they welcomed his clarification because he made a statement about his letter which then you know called them out. Uh, their statement added it was um, agreed at the board the FA board meeting to undertake an evaluation of diversity and inclusion within the FA much needed in a consultative but efficient manner right I don't know what it sounds like speech for like we're not going to do anything who are they consulting with there are no BAME individuals included in this conversation the phrase physician heal thyself will not be sufficient in this case it will take outside help it will require effort from beyond the boardroom if you have no diversity in a room, those in that room will do their level best not to see things change. What do they mean? Review. What does that mean? No one wants to make no one wants to make way for the other guy. No one seems to want to make way. No one. It's just like there. We're here. And we're not moving, and we're not included anymore. Anyway, I digress. Apologies. I digress. I told you it was a big news day, and I was I was I was upset. Oh. I was upset. Um, in Clark's letter, where Clark's letter, he said that without the support of the professional game and the national game, um, who have a majority of directors, a review of the FA board composition is not possible. This is what the article goes on. This was in the Guardian. This was in the BBC, and there was also something in the Guardian. Um, the article on the BBC says uh, outlines. More from Clark um, with regards to what was hoped, and the FA trying to examine its own board when there's no real diversity there to examine the board. So, I, you know, when something's sick and you need outside help, you just don't go to you don't go to where the sickness is. You go to where you, you go somewhere else. You go somewhere else. Uh, there is a blockage with regards to diversity. There is a blockage with regards to inclusion. There is a blockage with regards to actual change that will bring about a diversity at, a, at boardroom level, at board level, right? This for me is disappointing, this is disappointing. Um, so much so is about leadership, being a role model and um, access and um, allowing development to happen and, and being inclusive and um, education through empowerment and everything, all of those things. It's, uh, to hear what I heard, it was disappointing. Yeah, very, very, very disappointing. And you know, as I, I don't want to go too much into the whole Black Lives Matter thing because you know we know it. For those of us who have been, you know, aware of what's been going on, but we to use to use in the simple kind of phrase. How many times? How many times have you? I know I have. I know. Filled out an application form. For any job in the 80s in the 90s 2000s and the question is how do you how do you work to improve and it usually ends up with like a phrase like to improve equality of opportunity or how do you go about um, dealing with inequality or how do you go about trying to 
um, promote equal access, you know, all of those things. The list goes on and on and on. You know, how many times do you read that? But then when you're, you see a body that's so resistant to even having a conversation that people are making statements and letters and counter statements and you just think, well, there's, there's no real willingness to do anything. Absolutely, there is no willingness for, for, for change or to be inclusive. It's it's a, it's it's um it's BS. It's a lot of waffle and BS. A lot of waffle and BS. And and and, and I, why I know it's even BS because there was even the suggestion that they would create another boardroom post so that someone of colour or Bain representative could actually apply for that post. So they didn't look bad. Using the words um, bluff and fluff is just bull. It's just I have to say it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Creating a post for someone from the uh, a, a minority ethnic background to apply for, and then they say that's that minority ethnic seat. So therefore, your whoever applies for it is is curtailed in terms of influence and in curtailed in terms of respect and restricted and pigeonholed and boxed off and basically made not to feel included within the original boardroom because it's a an add-on to something that does not want to change. Wow. Um, the inability to be flexible, flexibility in itself is is key. This is 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 a key in terms of growth, in terms of being reflective in terms of empowering oneself and the, an organization and communities that you serve, which the FA does serve. It serves those within the footballing family, top to bottom, um, that they are unable to even engage in a conversation without there being some kind of kerfuffle and kuha about appointing diverse candidates um, I have, to, I have to question everything about them and um, you know that the fact that they you know they don't even look at it in the sense that diverse candidates have the qualifications and the experience to to do the role sad and you know what I mean that's just sad very very sad um, the fact that Greg Clark had to issue a statement to kind of clarify his original letter tells you everything that you need to know with regards to what's happening there in terms of uh, the, the ongoing conversation about diversity and inclusion. Uh, the joint statement from the Premier League and the EFL tells you everything about how it was then, you know, put forward following Greg Clark's clarification. Um, and they welcomed his clarification. Um, in the, their clarification, uh, they said that his letter, his original letter, did not in fact reflect the true nature of the discussions, right? And that they are working hard to improve diversity at every level of the game. Yeah, let's wait and see how that one develops. Every level. Uh, the joint statement then went on to outline that they would do more and more and more. You know, it's just, uh, they just need to bloody get a move on. Really and truthfully, they just really need to get a move on. 
anyway, moving away from the FA and their kind of, you know, foot in mouth and uh, boxed themselves into a corner situation. On the back pages, the transfer rumours are, are picking up. The season is over, as I mentioned. And uh, two of the, the, the top stars, the, the keen UK stars, are on the back pages. Uh, Jack Grealish and Will Zaha, both, uh, both of them play with a, a free spirit and they add value uh, uh, to the way that they play. And, and the way that they play, it adds value to their valuation. Uh, but so much so uh, that the silly money season has come round again. And in a world where every day you see people losing their jobs because of the coronavirus or possibly losing their jobs or they're on furlough or unable to be paid full wage. Um, and this will continue for some time as we move down this COVID-19 path that I'm bewildered at some of the figures put forward by the newspapers and by some of the supporters who no doubt will be struggling to buy season tickets. So. Um, a measure of common sense is, is not there in terms of transfer rumours, but it sells papers. It sells papers and what do you want? Elsewhere, Jaden Sancho is the new kid king. Everyone wants a slice of over the hill and over the hill and far, far away. His estimation is banana republic estimation. It looms across the landscape. Over 100 million euros will secure the services of a very talented young man who has yet to win anything apart from praise on what he might achieve or could achieve. You know, it's like prospecting for gold. You know, everyone doing that mad rush, hoping to find something. His time at Dortmund, this is Jaden Sancho, uh, has been successful despite the club not necessarily obtaining the silverware that they want. But with regards to Jaden Sancho and what would happen with him, um, it's a bit. It's it's very much a watch this space, and he, uh, in line with Jack Grealish and Wolf Zaha, all free spirited young individuals, very very talented. It will make for a very very interesting transfer rumor windows for the next few weeks. Elsewhere in the news, in the Guardian, which was interesting in the middle of the week, failed Newcastle takeover. The article by Jonathan Liu. Um, explain the on and off saga around Newcastle United. Uh, the saga itself has literally fizzled out for now. The, the barbecue burgers and beer on hold. There is no immediate escape for fans of this big club. They have to stay with it. Supporters of Newcastle United were pinning their hopes on a Christmas Day event in the summer where they would be heralded with a new change, new owners and a pocket full of cash. Uh, for their club, but and, and it would have energised their club, it would have energised their fan base, and it would have energised their players who have been playing with uncertainty for weeks, for months, because of the news that has been circulating around this club and their owner and their manager who may or may not be sacked because of it. The article makes reference to the current financial crisis caused by the coronavirus and how this crisis has dented the Saudis' financial stability. Um, this is true because obviously the coronavirus has dented many things in terms of the financial stability of many businesses around the world because without things moving, there isn't that much money. Uh, but um, how can this be true in terms of financial stability for the fans or supporters of football clubs? Because, you know, they, they, they don't necessarily pay attention to what's happening elsewhere. They're so fix, fixated on their club. 
they're in a, a, a almost an alternative universe, an alternative dimension with regards to what is real, what isn't real, and in terms of financial stability, they pay no attention to it. They're not interested in financial crises at all, not at all. Um, there is no um, deal for them at the moment, so they're going to have to wait a moment. Newcastle United, in terms of the article, they're going to have to, you know, keep those conversations in the pub on hold. They're going to have to keep that conversation next to the photocopier on hold, um, just for a little while. The bulk of the supporters still want their club, and their they want their club to be going in a particular direction, and they want their chairman, their chairman, to go. But even though they want their chairman to go, while he's still there, they want him to go out and spend silly money. So you can see the dilemma when it talks about uh, financial um, stability and a crisis, a financial crisis. Football fans, they're not, we, we are not necessarily plugged in all the time. You know, we pay attention and we drift away and we, we still want silly, silly football rumours. We want all of those things and more. Um, so it's going to be a while, a, a definite while. Uh, Newcastle United need an injection of cash. Um, and they need it, apparently they need it now. Um, and this is a case that Newcastle are not necessarily poor. Newcastle are not necessarily poor. They have an owner that doesn't necessarily want to spend the money that he has spent. He's been reluctant. Uh, Newcastle's relationship with their manager uh, and the owners have been a little bit strange over time. And it all depends on what's going on. There needs to be a, a, a coming together from Newcastle United's point of view and their fans' point of view. Mike Ashley has money. There's no doubt he has money. He just doesn't want to spend all of the money on what the fans want to spend the money on, or what the fans would wish he would spend the money on. You know, he has House of Fraser. Um, and even if he did spend the money, would they still dislike him? You know, probably, yes, I think they would. Um, but the, the on-off sale with the Saudis, this drama uh, is going to kick on for some time throughout next season, and especially if the team does not perform to its capabilities, or worse, if they just don't perform at all. Uh, in terms of why the deal didn't go through, it's believed that the Premier League rivals of Newcastle uh, literally put the boot in, literally. Um, they are still reeling, and I say they, I'm talking about the Premier League clubs that have a certain mindset, are reeling um, about certain clubs having cash-filled, cash-kicking, cash-overflow, owners, let's say Chelsea and Manchester City, those Premier League clubs don't want to see another cash-rich state take a slice of the footballing pie in which they are currently eating. You know, everyone has altruistic values, you know, saying, oh, they want to do it for the best of the game. But to be honest, to be present, they don't want a club with a fan base like Newcastle United to actually be even in the position of a Manchester City or a Chelsea because if they were in that position where they could go out and splash the cash in the transfer market, where they can do whatever they like, it would be absolutely frightening. It would be frightening for everyone. You know, it is very much about business as usual. They don't want Newcastle to be owned by uh, rich owners, maybe rich but not catch rich, where they can cash cash rich, where they can do what they like. Um, this is very much about troubled waters. Um, being close to home and they don't want that at all. Those Premier League clubs, those rivals of Newcastle, 
they don't want it to happen. There are uncertain times in Newcastle in terms of the boardroom, there's uncertain times on the pitch side for both the players and the managers. And the Premier League rivals want that to continue. They need this bedtime story to be a, a bedtime nightmare for Newcastle because they do not want, in my humble opinion, for Newcastle United to be anywhere as rich as Manchester City or Chelsea. Old money doesn't like new money. Not one bit. Now, with regards to what's happening in the rest of the week, there's a really interesting story which jumped out. And I have to ask the question, do you fear the future? Are you worried about your data being used against your will? Are you? Are you worried about your data being used against your knowledge? Everyone has Facebook, everyone has Instagram, everyone has TikTok, everyone has TikTok. News this week, really interesting article in The Athletic by David Ornstein, the headline about players suing for millions, players to sue for hundreds of millions of pounds for the use of their statistics. Can you believe it? It is believed that hundreds of players in the English Football League, in the National League, in the Scottish Premiership and in the Premier League, they are taking legal action over the use of their performance tracking data. You should never use your mobile data, your, your location services, it's, it's not good. We all know data is key, all of us, you know. Just ask the owners of Instagram, Facebook, Google, if they would give away the data that they currently hold about you and me, and they would give you a very cold, hard stare. They're not letting it go. Because it means they're going to lose their revenue. The claim by the players is believed to be roughly worth about hundreds of millions of pounds. The article in The Athletic, if you don't have a subscription, do, it's very good, even though I don't use it enough, claims that there are more than 400 current and former players have signed up to pursue a gaming and betting data processing companies who utilise this very data, their personal statistics, without their consent and without compensation. This is gaming, betting and advertising avenues. These have made considerable amounts of money. Come on, everyone's talking about Football Manager. Everyone's talking about um, Pro Evolution and all of those other games. I might have missed one, you know, you know, all of those things. These companies obtain the data, obtain the data and statistics of players and they've been using them for a while. They've been using them and earning money and revenue off the backs and the efforts of others. If you went out for a run and had good stats, would you want to own your data and use it for your purposes? Of course you would. You'd sell it, you promote yourself, you do what you want. The players aim to recoup, you know, in terms of income, going back roughly over six years, a six year period. Um, and this is huge. I mean, that's a long time. Uh, the article in itself is, is a very good read, but what it does pose is that the debate will focus on who owns the data. If you run your club and you win gold, or if you run for your club and you win gold, do you own the data in terms of the statistics or does the club own the data? Because you've run for the club. See? See what I mean? Uh, who has historically, who has historically used data? to help their own ends. Every club, 
every club has, you know. But were they in the right to use the data if it wasn't their work? I mean, they may have been the club, but they didn't do the work. They didn't do the running. They didn't do the scoring. Who owns the data? It's a really tricky, really tricky area. Uh, the article poses very good questions, especially about when a player comes to the end of his career, especially if a player's career is cut short. Can this player still earn money from the collected data that these same companies, the betting companies, the gaming companies, continue to use? Can they? Are you able as a player to use the data for yourselves and claim some money back? It's gonna be it's gonna be really, really interesting. Really interesting. The efforts of your of, of any individual should be rewarded. The reward should go to the individual. The wealth created, some of it definitely should go to the individual. It should not be harvested off and kept somewhere else and used somewhere else. But this is the world we're living in, where companies collect data all the time. Everyone has Facebook. Everyone has Instagram. Everyone is showing this. The data is being used and harvested, and no one knows where it's going. No one. These companies do it on a daily basis and they have so much control of our data so I can understand why football players current and former are trying to push this case forward so that they can actually one recoup some revenue to secure their future but three also kind of secure something in terms of their own rights their own marketability going forward should they um, have the, the misfortune of, of having a shorter career than they planned. It will be very, very, very interesting to see how this plays out. Very interesting indeed. And um, <laughs> the one of the story. This is the funniest story. I'm sorry. It's it's quite warm. It's quite warm. Mm. It has been this weekend. The funniest story this week. Um, I've called it the happy outcast. You know, when you reach the pinnacle of any sporting achievement, you can just stop. You can chill. It doesn't matter if your manager doesn't fancy you anymore or if the fans no longer bother you for an autograph. You can just simply stop and enjoy life. You know, and do what you want to do. See what's in front of you. Let the world unfold in front of you and just take your time and just chill. This is the situation facing Gareth Bell, the one-time hero of Spurs and Real Madrid, the world's most expensive player at one point in time, but don't tell Ronaldo, or the second Ronaldo, definitely. Gareth Bell, despite earning huge amounts of money and accolades at Real Madrid, um, is at the point in his career where he's happy to stay on the bench, and apparently he's told Ryan Giggs that he is not going to try and leave Madrid. He's happy to stay there and uh, see out his retirement basically. Um, his country need him for the Euros next year but will he be fit enough to help them win the competition if he's not playing football and if he's not happy to try and actually move away from Madrid and play football while he still has life in his legs. Um, it seems that he is hell-bent on uh, looking at re the retirement off in the horizon, squinting at it uh, very, very carefully. And he's decided that he just wants to stay on the bench. 
and he doesn't care if he's going to be rusty. Um, it's unbelievable. I believe in the in the season just gone. He, I think he didn't even manage twenty games or start for twenty games. Maybe fifteen. In, in fifteen games is, is quite. Some would say quite good if you're twenty, but he's not twenty. He's well past that. Life is good for him in Spain. You know, despite the coronavirus, the weather is nice. His family are settled, and he's made enough money that he doesn't have to push himself and. Uh, he will just go off and play golf and be a sub as and when it suits him. So, you know, for him, football has definitely made him a lot of money. He's, he's made uh, a good life for himself and um, he's now playing on a different kind of pitch, uh, a much bigger pitch uh, using smaller balls, golf in itself. Anyway. That was it from me. I'm Rodney Cyrus. This was the Sunday show under the umbrella of one and off the pitch. I hope you guys uh, have enjoyed this uh, little episode and outing. Please check out uh, the other shows that I've done so far, but also please like, share and subscribe. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, go on. It's a five-star review. Why not? Until next time, I'll see you later. Bye for now.